This is Talk To Me, the podcast that gives you rants, anecdotes, and interviews with people from hardcore to hair metal. And now your hosts, Joshua Toomey and John Drake. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Talk To Me. This is episode 119. As always, I'm your host, Joshua Toomey. I am John Drake. And this week on the podcast, we have Sean Dover of Active Defiance, a former Megadeth drummer, longest tenured Megadeth drummer at that, and uh, who have a new album out, Old Scars, New Wounds, out September 29th on Metal Blade Records. So, uh, John Drake, what do you think about Sean Dover? I did not know that he was the longest tenured Megadeth drummer. That was kind of kind of an interesting factoid. Yeah, it was kind of weird when I came across that fact too, and I, it was very—I um, mean, it made sense once I thought about it, but it was—it uh, was crazy to see that he had been in—he was in the band for ten years. I thought that was a, a crazy number. Yeah, as soon as you said it, I—I th- I, I thought, what about Nick Menza? But then when you really sit down and think about it, it's like, yeah, Sean Drover makes sense. But um, you know, he was a good drummer. He—he he did service to the material. It was better than. You know, when they tried to shoehorn Jimmy DeGrasso in there. Um, <laughs> you know, Jimmy DeGrasso's a good drummer, but he's not exactly Megadeth material. So he just has a different style. So Absolutely. And uh, and with the, with the new stuff, um, you know, on the in the interview, we actually talk about uh, he, he just recently played golf at a John Daly golf tournament, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> and we actually go into, like, ro- what's up with the rock stars playing golf? Uh, you know, he talks about uh, playing with, like, Nico McBrain. And, uh, you know, we talk about Alice Cooper playing, stuff like that. And he actually goes in and we talk a little bit about, uh, you know, he, he was in Megadeth when they took part in the, in the Big Four. So he actually talked a little bit about playing those Big Four shows. And then, obviously, we talk uh, Active Defiance. And this is their second album and uh, it, it just shows a lot that you know it's the same lineup as the first album it's not just like some sort of weird super group that uh, you know did one off album and, and they moved on to something else uh, it looks like when he joins a band he joins a band for for a while that's actually pretty admirable the way things go these days I mean especially after coming from Megadeth you'd think he'd be a little bit jaded but I guess having Chris Broderick there to share in his uh, Dave Mustaine misery <laughs> made it a little easier for him to stick around in the lineup. So, All right, so speaking of drummers, and this actually goes right into our uh, iTunes review, a nice five-star iTunes review. If you want your iTunes review read on the next episode of the Talk To Me podcast, head over to your iTunes, leave a nice five-star rating, nice five-star review, and it will be... Uh, <laughs> spoken out loud <laughs> it will be read on the next episode of the talk to me podcast so from uh, daddy drummer one it's a nice five star rating this podcast is truly a gem truly a great gem wow i cannot say enough of how much i have enjoyed listening to the talk to me podcast i was turned on to this show from listening to my favorite podcast discography discussion Toomey has great content, incredible interviews, and a wonderfully listenable voice. These episodes are well-produced, well-edited, and you can really feel the hard work that's put into this show. Uh, I'm really liking his new co-host as well. Good choice. If you love metal of varying genres, this is definitely the podcast for you. So thank awesome. You. So thank you, Daddy Drummer One out there in, uh, in, in iTunes review world. Thank you so much. Actually... 
I always try to figure out if I have ever spoken to the people that have uh, left the reviews. I always assume that the listeners are kind of like one big family, and they either comment on Facebook stuff, Twitter stuff, Instagram, or whatnot. And from this interview or from this uh, review, I couldn't tell who it was. And uh, and as I was like, <laughs> honestly, as I was trying to figure out who it was, Daddy Drummer One added me on Instagram. I was like, all right, and there you are. <laughs> so, and it's truly, uh, You're so self-deprecating. It, well, you know, I just, I like to, I like to, I'd like to feel like we're one huge family here at the, uh, talk to me compound. So are you always worried that you've actually met these people and they're like acquaintances that are just leaving you the five star reviews? No, I don't think, I don't think I'm worried about it. I think I'm, uh, I, I, I've told you this before. I mean, I know that our numbers are our numbers, and I know only a few select people actually reach out each week or, you know, over time. So I know there are like probably hundreds of people out there that listen to the show that have never once emailed the show, liked the show on Facebook, shared the show, or anything like that. So um, it's always nice when you see like a new person come along that leaves a review saying they've been listening for a while or someone that, you know, someone new that reaches out. I always think it's a, uh, I always just assume I've talked to everybody and then someone new comes along. Oh, okay. Yeah. I just wondered because you've said a few times that, you know, I wonder if I met this guy or if I met this guy when we get reviews. So I just wondered if you were always worried that it was not a sincere review or just somebody that you knew like beefing up your podcast to be nice. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope that the people, I mean, some of the, obviously the early reviews are definitely, uh, you know, people I work with, uh, you know, people I'm friends with, but, uh, you know, the last few weeks are, are people that I've either met through the podcast or, you know, people that have found the podcast through other podcasts, such as the uh, wonderful folks over there at discography discussion or, or, or other, other ways they find it. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I think we're truly branching out past you know friends and family you know not only are our moms sharing the show but uh random strangers are also starting to dig it yeah so so i guess in the beginning you got a lot of comments from to me mom 69 <laughs> this show is fantastic if you like music you'll like this sh- this show by my son or by joshua <laughs> joshua get in here joshua aaron <laughs> now everybody knows your middle name i'm oh, sorry they, they know most Take of them behind the curtain they know all the rest of my name so they might as well get the, the middle name too <laughs> all right <laughs> all right and uh let's jump into our uh, shout outs for sharing that is shout outs for sharing on facebook and twitter if you see this podcast pop up in your in your facebook timeline your twitter feed make sure to hit that share button hit that retweet button and you will get a shout out on the next episode of the talk to me podcast so for shouting out the uh, Brock Lindau of 36 Crazy Fists episode, nice shout out to Joel Baggett, who uh, went and hung out with Fozzie today. And uh, I, got, I got to text one of the guys in Fozzie, said, hey, my buddy Joel's coming for the VIP meet and greet. Uh, Joel said, hey, Billy, to me. And Billy looked at him and said, hey, Joel, what's up? So pretty cool that uh, he, he got a little extra in the VIP. Uh, Jeremy Bow, Scott Sullivan, Daniel Chapu, Eric Moore, Brian Cuddis, Ear Peeler, our good friend Vic over there at Ear Peeler, Adam Splitter PR, Discography Discussion, John Aaron and John's Untitled Podcast shared it. Uh, huge shout out to Dustin Wickoff of uh, Drunken Lullabies Podcast. He's uh, started to do some album reviews on the uh, TalkToMePod.com. He did the uh, 36 Crazy Fist album review and he shared that. Uh, shout out to American Standards, AC, that's at AAULT1 on Twitter. Artistry Alley News, Adam Cox, and our good friends over there at MDG Rock Photography. So thanks, you guys, and uh, there's your shout-out for sharing. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thanks for the support, everybody. I think it's really cool, uh, by the way, Josh, that 
as we go through these week after week, I keep hearing a few of our fellow podcasters spreading the word, which I think is really cool that we're kind of getting our own little family here and everyone's kind of spreading the word about each other's show. I think that's really badass. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I've always I've always said that to other shows and you know sh- other shows that do this where I may or may not have gotten the idea to do the shoutouts for sharing. Um, you know, it's just an easy way. It's a nice little uh, you know little advertisement if you want uh, each week. Uh, you know, get your name out there and and uh, you know get it out there in each episode. So if you want me to talk about your show each week, share the show. It's, it's as simple <laughs> yeah. as as simple as that. <laughs> That's why you do it. You're like, I'll share your show if you talk about mine. Exactly. And then uh, one last piece of, uh, of of business we need to do here. Uh, I went through over the weekend and uh, sat down with the Patreon page, kind of updated the perks over there at the Patreon page, uh, added a few things, uh, reworded a few things, and um, I've also given. I'm starting to do a new uh, T-shirt giveaway. So if you sign up for Patreon at least the five dollar level, after six months of uh, patronage. Uh, you will get a free Talk To Me t-shirt. So I'm going to add that on there too. So make sure to head over to patreon.com slash talk to me and uh, pick out a tier. There's a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, ten dollars. Um, and if you want a guest on the show, it's a hundred dollars. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's happened in the past. And so it, it, it will continue to happen occasionally. And you can come on, uh, talk about music, play some songs and, uh, and, and have your own episode of Talk To Me. So make sure to head over to patreon.com slash talk to me pick out a tier, and it will be much appreciated. I'd just like to say that I've added a $150 tier, and uh, I will drive to your house and give you a high five and bring <laughs> you a burger for 150 bucks. So that's also something well, that we're offering. Well, for $200, I will go to your house with a pizza and a handshake. Well, see, now that depends. Now we're at war. Is a pizza and a handshake worth more than a burger and a high five? Yes, absolutely. It well, is. to you. Well, I'm much. I'd much rather have a handshake and a pizza over hamburger and a high five. Yeah, but a high five's cooler than a handshake. Handshake's more personal. More, you know, like if you want to get in there with the grip, you know, you gotta you gotta shake your hand like a man, and then also pizza. Like pizza, pizza's greater okay, than uh, hamburgers all day. The pizza lasts longer, but the handshake is more it's it's more rigid. It's it's not as personable. Like it's like, hey, how are you? Nice to meet you. High five is like, what's up, bro? So I think there's a debate to be had here. Well, not I, I think we're show, having it. We're, we're having it as we speak. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, mine was gonna be like the handshake, but kind of pulled in for like a bro hug. Like the pat on the back bro hug, you know? So it was it was kind of a two parter. I just was gonna add that the you know, you were going to get that for free. Okay. See, now a bro hug is cooler than a high five. That I'll give you. And anybody who knows me well knows that I'm a hugger. I'm Italian, so once I know you, I'm like, oh, what's up, man? My band makes fun of me for it all the time. <laughs> like, you're going to get a hug from John Drake whether you want it or not. So, But if you do want one from me, 150 bucks hmm. And a burger. And a burger. <laughs> What kind of burger are we talking here? Are we talking like a like a, a McDouble, or are we talking like a like a Five Guys? No, you got you got to have something good. Like no, no no McDonald's. That's dog food. Although that's an insult to dog food. So you know, it's gonna be funny is when I add this tier to Patreon and someone actually takes you up on it. <laughs> It'll be someone in like Wyoming, right? I'll be like, well, that's a hell of a drive. Thank God I just bought a new car this weekend. I saw that. That's nice. It. The CX Wing. 
Yep, the CX Wing, <laughs> the next in a long line of Star Wars themed vehicles that I drive. God, you guys, a pimp you guys ride, are nerds. A <laughs> little bit. Dude, this is a nice car. I'm, I'm actually surprised that I'm driving it. It's got like the navigation system and backup camera, like every bell and whistle. I'm driving around going, what the hell? I feel like I actually make a living. <laughs> yeah, that's always nice. I, when we went to. Um we went down to Myrtle Beach over the summer, and we rented like a you know a, a bomb ass car uh, for the for the trip. And you know, by the end of it, I'm like, I do not want to give this back. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> How can I go back to my car after driving this? So coming up this weekend, uh, we got the uh, we got the louder than the life here in in Louisville, Kentucky. Going to do the uh, going down for the interview sessions. Hopefully, get some uh, get some interviews that are not nece- necessarily scheduled. Um, at this point, I have uh, Palisades. He is legend. Uh, the band Dead. Uh, who else did I Who else did I say? Um, Fire from the Gods. Like it's it's. It, it's a lot of the lower tier bands, a lot of the up and comer, up and coming bands. Um, a lot of publicists are saying the bigger bands aren't doing pub or uh, doing press while they're there. Uh, you know, maybe like last year, you'll just kind of look up and you know maybe Zach Wild walks through the, uh, the through the media tent like he did last year. Maybe grab a couple seconds with the, with somebody like that. Uh, I got like one question in with Mark Chamonti last year, so so maybe I'll end up doing some stuff like that. But uh, you know, looking forward to going to see Louder Than Life uh, this weekend here in Louisville, Kentucky. Should be good, man. I, I was like, I always thought that it was fun getting the bands that are more, as you said, kind of like up and coming. Because when I did interviews back in the early two thousands, those were always the bands that you know, they had a lot of interesting things to say about how they got there, the state of the current music industry. Because you know, the bigger artists, they've already made it, so they don't really know what's really going on on the ground level like someone like you or I would. So it's really interesting to hear how the industry is really doing from someone who's, you know, at that beginning level. They they have to go through what it's like to, you know, have their stuff streamed and make no money and, you know, live out of a, a van instead of a tour bus with, you know, per diems and all that kind of stuff. So I think you can get a lot of really great information about the music industry itself from bands like that. So I'm I'm excited to hear what you get. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, so basically, what I'm also telling you is, is over the next uh, next week or so, you're probably getting a lot of bonus episodes, like you did with the uh, with the Rock and Pot Expo, maybe with a little bit of less alcohol involved, but uh, but yeah, getting <laughs> a lot more, uh, you know, a little solo uh, 10, 15, 20 minute uh, clips, interviews here and there, and try to get those out to you. And uh, you know, I like uh, those those little quick interviews, man. They're fun. They get they get some uh, good download numbers on those too. And and sometimes you strike gold like with uh, with Toby Wright and end up all over the place like iHeartRadio and and all that nonsense. Yeah, I mean, like one of the ones that I did it, it was back in the early two thousands. Real quick story, and then it will move on. But um, when I was doing interviews for a magazine called Music's Bottom Line, I got to interview Head PE. And uh, this was back in the days when you would record into a micro recorder. And um, I was talking to the guy and I, you know, looked up their music and researched it a little bit. And, um, you know, they were a name, but they, they weren't huge by any means. Uh, they, they, it was right before they started to become a little more of a household name, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, and I love that band. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> dude, I just I, I wasn't really familiar with them until I talked to him. And boy, I was familiar with them afterwards because my micro cassette recorder failed. So I was talking to this guy for like 40 minutes and I got maybe two minutes, which sucked because 
I asked like three questions, and all of a sudden, he starts just destroying one or two of his bandmates, basically saying, oh, they're all fucked up on drugs, they're high all the time, they're in legal trouble, this, that, and the other, something. He was just going off about their addictions, just throwing this guy, a couple of them, I think it was, under the bus. I was like, what the hell? And I got none of it on tape. <laughs> I'll never forget calling Aiken because he was running the magazine at that time. And I was like, dude, you won't even believe what I got. This is going to be the greatest interview ever. And I went to you know, trans, uh, transcribe it, and none of it was there. It's <laughs> like, shit. And now if you go on to rocktorecovery.org, a, <laughs> a, uh, uh, a nonprofit put together by Wes Gear, one of the... Uh, guitarist of head PE uh, <laughs> that is a uh, recovering uh, recovering addicts uh, you know little little organization they do you can head over there and, and donate and find out how you can help out uh, recovering drug addict uh, guitar players and rock stars <laughs> maybe that's where it started man it's all maybe he was the guy who was talking about <laughs> it probably was they talk about being very very strung out over there actually him and uh, Sonny Mayo also was uh, is a part of that charity so yeah rock to recovery.org Sonny Mayo from, was he from Snot and Seven Dust? Or am I thinking Yeah, I mean, that's else? him. That's him. Okay. He also plays in Ugly Kid Joe. Was he all messed Joe. up too? Yeah, yeah. They, he, he talks about it really bad like uh, throughout all that stuff. I think all those guys ended up getting all whacked out. Wow. Whacked out. That's sad. Uh, you know, speaking of people putting putting out articles out there, I meant to throw this out there in the shout outs for sharing, but also a huge shout out to the PRP.com for running the uh, Brock Lindau uh, article over the uh, over the weekend. That was pretty cool to see. Man, I have I don't know if I've seen him uh, seen the guy that runs the PRP turn and turn a story around that quick. I sent him the the link to the episode at uh, at like noon, and by like three o'clock, it was already up on the website. Uh, normally, it takes a couple of days for stuff like that to happen. Damn, that's awesome! Thanks for the coverage, PRP. Yeah, you say the words "new metal" in an interview, and uh, he'll pull that shit right out. <laughs> well, you're the you're the king of new metal, so that's right. He's probably waiting on everything you do. <laughs> I was actually thinking about this a, a while back, and, and it's funny dealing with with people like Blabbermouth and and the PRP now because growing up, the PRP was was one of the predecessors to like all this stuff. Like they were one of the true first metal blogs. I don't think that they're. Um, you know, they're not as popular as Blabbermouth or whatnot now, but I think, you know, growing up, then that was like where you went every day. And, uh, I, I built a relationship with, uh, with the, the, well, actually a name you'll love, but the, the guy that runs that thing is called, his name is Wookiebus. Um, and, and that's, that's like an incubus <laughs> nice. in Star Wars reference. But, uh, he, um, he was the one that actually helped me get into Primer 55 back in the day because he had posted the news about them losing their bass player. And uh, I immediately emailed him and I was like, hey, you know, do you have their info? info? And he said, yeah. And he actually, uh, you know, hooked me up with uh, with Bobby Burns at Primer 55 back in the day. So he was the one that actually, you know, linked that together. And then all these years later, you know, 20 years later, here we are, uh, you know, doing news together. So I think that's kind of cool. Oh, very cool. Yes, it is. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into our uh, cover of the week this week, and then we will get into uh, get into our talk with Sean Drover, and then after that, uh, John and I will talk about our three what is it three favorite albums or three albums we consider perfect albums um, after we talk to Sean Drover. Three favorite, three perfect. They're about the same. I, I have mine. They're at the very least my three most influential albums. So. 
I, I probably have two that you uh, let you would uh, suspect, and then one that's probably I had to come in a little left field for. So, uh, so let's jump into our cover of the week this week, and that's brought to you by Puck Hockey. That's p u c k h c k y dot com. Make sure to head over to Puck Hockey and check out their uh, man. Check out their Snoop Dogg stuff. It, it's crazy watching this company grow from uh you know really they started out with just a couple of bands like uh, 36 crazy fist they did some dave ellison stuff uh they did the tom hazard stuff you know like the like the you know not not as huge stuff but now like snoop dogg is on he was on uh sports center the other day rocking a puck hockey hat and he was he was on something else you know like rocking his uh puck hockey jerseys and stuff and he's he's really uh he's really into this stuff doing the whole like snoop dogg hockey league or whatever they call it over there so so it's cool to see that, and then also they've uh, you know announced uh, Testament and Exodus and and uh, the aforementioned Head PE and uh, Doyle stuff, and and so it's it's cool, man. And they actually reached out the other day and uh, and are going to send me some more stuff. So it's always great to get to get some stuff in the mail. Got to get you some stuff too, and um, definitely. Uh, so if you want to get yourself some stuff out there in the talk to me land, make sure to head over to puckhockey.com, p-u-c-k-h-c-k-y.com. Shop till you drop. Use the promo code Talk at checkout. For 10% off your entire order. Yes, that is talk as in talk to me for 10% off your entire order. So for the talk to me cover of the week, had to do it. It's been it's been in queue for a long time. Let's do uh, Megadeth doing Anarchy in the UK. Very nice. Hey everybody, this is David Allison from Megadeth and you're listening to the Talk to Me podcast.
All right, we'd like to welcome Sean Jover to the line today. Uh, Active Defiance drummer, former Megadeth drummer. You guys, a lot of you guys will know him from that. And uh, they have a great new album out called uh, Old Scars, New Wounds, out uh, September 29th on Metal Blade Records. Man, how you doing tonight? I'm good. How are you? Oh, man, just living the dream. Very good. I was hoping that you're, uh, you had to reschedule the, uh, the, uh, the, the interview for a couple hours later. I was wondering if you were wishing your former boss a happy birthday today. Uh, no, I didn't even know it was his birthday, so, was, but happy birthday to him. Yeah, it was one of those things where it popped up on Facebook and I was like, that's kind of ironic talking to Sean Jover today. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that, but yeah, that's awesome. So the new Active Defiance album, I've been listening to the last couple of days and man, I think it's great, man. I think you guys, uh, you and Chris and, uh, and the fellas over there are doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh. I think it's a really, uh, really solid record, and uh, we worked really hard on it, so we're we're definitely pleased with the outcome. With this one, I know that the first one was a little bit more fifty-fifty. You and Chris, uh, Chris writing songs. Uh, with the second album, were were the other guys able to uh, to contribute a little bit more? Was there a different writing process for this album? Well, the, the I mean, the, the main difference was is once when Chris and I formed Act of Defiance. Um, you know, we had no bandmates, obviously. It was just the two of us who decided to, to start a new band. And, and we just decided, you know, while we're looking for bandmates and a record company and management, all the other 12 things that we had to to do, you know, I said, you know, we just kind of decided, well, let's just write a record. And, you know, once we find bandmates, you know, at least musically, the, the, the puzzles will be in place. And that's exactly what we did. Um, with of course with with uh, the new record, you know we we of course we played about I think we played 110 shows in support of of, of the last uh, record cycle. So obviously with Matt and Henry in place, you know you know you get to know each other's mannerisms and and so forth. And um, it turns out that all four of us are songwriters, so it really made it a lot easier in a sense um, to write this record because instead of ever, the burden being on Chris and myself writing everything, you know, I, I, I obviously knew Matt was a, was a great songwriter from, from his work in Shadow Swall, but I really didn't know that Henry was a good songwriter as well. So it kind of really played to our advantage to have everybody in the band um, who were capable songwriters. So it certainly made the record a little more seamless um, then the first one, in, in a, not to say that the first one was difficult, but it was just a different process. But, you know, again, having four people, all, all four guys in the band being songwriters is definitely a beneficial thing. And with the process of this one, I know that uh, in, in the reading about it, there was a lot of talk about uh, a lot of file sharing, a lot of uh, sending files around. Um, did you guys ever hash out stuff in the, in a room together or was it completely, uh, you know, over the Internet? It's all done over the internet. That's really not that uncommon anymore. Um, certainly for for projects, we're definitely we're anything but a project. We're a real band, but um, you know nowadays you can have a singer in you know England and a, a guitar player in L.A. and a bass player in you know Yugoslavia doing a project. It's really not a big deal you know, with the advent of the internet and Pro Tools and everything. Um, so for us, I mean, again, with Chris and I doing that first record, that's kind of how it went down, you know. Um, you know, Matt lives just outside of Boston, and uh, you know, he did all bass tracks at his studio. And, you know, with this new record, it was just kind of like, you know, we just demoed a bunch of songs, and 
we kind of hashed it up that way in terms of, you know, hey, what do you think of this? Well, you know, why don't you change this part or double this part or take this part out? We kind of hashed it out through the Internet, which really is a, is a simple process, or, or it was for us. Um, so, you know, we're quite comfortable doing it that way. Instead of spending an exorbitant amount of money, you know, flying to L.A., getting hotels, just so we can all be in the studio and, and pay an insane amount of money, every day in the studio that, that that's you know that was all great back in the day and that's how everything was done nowadays you can you know make a fantastic product for a fraction of the cost you know and that's kind of the route we're taking i mean you've done records you know uh 80s 90s 2000s 2010s um mm-hmm. what what is your what do you prefer i mean would you <laughs> would you have preferred to get in a room and hash it out or, or at this point, I mean, you understand how, how to write a song and what's going on, so you, so you don't mind the file sharing? I don't, mind, I don't mind either scenario. I mean, to be honest with you, I've never really been in a room with a band hashing out anything. I mean, it's <clears throat> with the Eidolon stuff that I did years ago with my brother, I wrote all those, pretty much all those songs. And God, back, in the, back then, that was in the 90s, there was no... Pro Tools or anything like that. So I, we would, I would literally send cassettes <laughs> to my brother in Canada and say, you know, here, here's the tunes, and he would learn them, and, and I would fly up there every Thanksgiving and cut drums for a new record. I mean, that's kind of how we did it back in the day for that band. Um, <clears throat> you know, and it's never really, I've never really been in a situation where, you know, we're all, all four or five band guys, whatever the situation is, you know, we're all hashing out and jamming on stuff. It's never really been like that for me, um, per se. So this is not, you know, having, doing the act of defiance stuff was, was nothing new. Um, not to say that I wouldn't do it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But again, I think nowadays it's really, um, the cost of all that is, is, is so expensive now. And the budgets have, have, have gone down considerably from what it was back in the day as well. So, you know, you just, I think, again, with with Pro Tools and everything, it's really made it affordable for bands to be able to release a a great sounding product where if you're smart and you know what you're doing, you can can do it in different locations and it's really not that big of a deal. So I can't speak for everyone, but I I definitely speak for what we've done in Act of Defiance for us. You know, we've we've been doing this a long time, so this is not... um, really something that's that new for us. So looking back on your career, I was, I was kind of taken aback by something and it looks like, like active defiance is your third band, the Eidolon Megadeth. And then this, and then active defiance is that, uh, is that pretty accurate? It looks like you were in the, in the pre Megadeth band for, for years and years. And then you were obviously the longest tenured drummer in Megadeth and then now on to active Mm -hmm. defiance. That's uh that's pretty remarkable. I was in a band called Infernal Majesty as well who are a real underground cult kind of thrash metal band. Um, that was in 1987, I think. God, it was so long ago. Yeah, it was actually <laughs> 30 years ago, if, I, if memory serves wow. me. I was in that band for about almost a year, and then I moved to America uh, from Toronto, Canada. And that's why, that was the main reason why I quit that band. Was, I just, it was, you know, I, I, I just wanted to move on and do something different. I felt I was... I don't know. I just felt like I was going nowhere in Toronto at the time and I wanted to do something different with my life. So I did. Um, but yeah, I was with that band for about a year 
And again, you know, they're, again, that's they're, they're, that's not a band that's sold a bazillion records, but um, credibility-wise, they're very well respected um, in the thrash community. For those who who know the old school stuff, they're definitely pioneers at what they were doing at the time. If you listen to the record that Nunchild the Fire record, it was put out 30 years ago this year, and and in in my opinion, it still stands up to this day as as one of the best thrash metal albums ever put out in my opinion certainly so it was fun to be part of that um, I didn't record the record but I joined the band right right after we recorded it um, they parted ways with their bass player and their uh, their drummer and uh, I stepped in and, and played with them for about a year so it was fun alright so four bands I mean even at that I mean at, at you know someone that's you know, kind of, kind of went into that that Megadeth thing. I think that uh, a lot of the times, you know, like a James Lomenzo who was in, you know, a bunch of bands prior to Megadeth. I mean, it's 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 still it's it's remarkable to me to to see somebody like that, you know, and actually, uh, you know, maybe stick with bands throughout the time. I mean, for me, I can't speak for anybody else. I can only speak for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, when I'm in a band, I'm I'm there 110 percent. So. Um, it's really not, it doesn't seem weird to me at all that I've only been in really four professional bands in my career. And really the idol one stopped. I mean, we put out, of course, we were a professional band, but, you know, we didn't tour. We played, you know, a festival here and there in, in Europe and did a couple of, of shows in America and, and, and some shows in Canada, but it's not like we were a touring outfit. Um, but again, we put out five records with that band. And, you know, if I'm in, if I'm in a band, I, 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 you know, theoretically, I try to, you know, when I start out, it's something that I want to be in for the long haul. It's not something I'm going to jump ship and in a year or two. I, I don't see the point in that. So it's not a surprise to me that the bands I've been in, I've been in for quite a while. You know, After Defiance, of course, is a new band, but, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that this is the band that I'm going to retire with. I don't, you know what I mean? So, yeah, Absolutely. <clears throat> so the so the active defiance is on Metal Blade Records, which is obviously a uh, well established uh, metal label, well respected metal label. Um, the Eidolon stuff looks like it was, some of that was out on Metal Blade too. Was that where the connection was there for you, or like everybody that worked on those old records back then? You know, maybe the only person left is uh, Brian Slagle. No, I mean that 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 was that was a homecoming for me in a sense, I suppose. I mean, I started my career with, with, with Brian and metal blade back in the late nineties with Eidolon. And, and, um, again, once Chris and I started active defiance, obviously one of the things we needed to do was, was find a record label. So, I mean, we didn't even have Matt in the band at the time. We, we, we sent Brian and, and metal blade as well as a bunch of other labels, uh, two, two songs, two demo songs, um, with Henry, we had other vocalists who, who tried it as well. But when we picked Henry, we sent uh, Brian and, and uh, people at Metal Blade two songs, and, and within four days we had a written contract on the table. So they had faith in, in uh, what we were doing, and they saw obviously from our history. You know, I, I've known those guys and worked with them for years, and Chris has known everybody at Metal Blade for years as well. So um, you know, I thought it was really cool that, that the fact that they had faith in us and knew that we were going to deliver a good product without even really hearing a whole lot of it, you know? Um, so again, kudos to them for, for stepping up and, and believing in what we were doing. And, uh, you know, we, we haven't let them down yet. 
Yeah, I think having a second quality album like the album that's about to come out now, The Old Scars, New Wounds, um, kind of kind of sh- does solidify that this is not a project and that this is actually a band, a band together. Well, yeah, projects don't don't play 110 shows to support a record. So, I mean, no, this is there's no we, our intention has nothing to do with any kind of superstar crap thing that, that the, some people would like to tag this to be, which to me is laughable. We're just four guys who, um, you know, decided to get together and form a new band and, and create new music. So, you know what I mean? This, this, this is a band. I mean, we're, our, our intentions uh, are to tour after every release. We obviously did that on, on the last record, and we're going to do even more so on this record, and that will continue with with every um, new release that we put out. I mean, that's what real bands do. They go on tour and they support the product and they play to the people who enjoy the music that they make. That's how you build the following. What's the crowd, res- uh, the crowd response to you guys been? It's been great. Yeah. People come to the shows. They, they, you know, again, it's not like somebody's going to come to your face and tell you suck. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. They, they keep I mean, that for the know. internet. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Which, that, whatever. Um, again, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the people come to the shows by and large are, are ones who want to hear what, with what, you know, what you're doing. I mean, why would somebody spend $30 or whatever, whatever ticket costs are going to be to go see a show for something that they hate. And I'm sure some people do that. And, and, you know, again, that's, that is what it is. And, you know, um, but we haven't had any bad experiences in, in terms of people coming up and saying, you know, this or that, you know, anything with any kind of negative connotation to it, it's all been really positive And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. You know what I mean? Again, we're, we're, this is a new band and you know, this is what we have to do to build the following is you just got to go out there and do the grunt work. And, and we've definitely proven that in spades in the first record that we're willing to do whatever we need to do, you know? And, and, uh, again, it's going to be even more so with this record. So but we want to spread out and obviously play more places than we want to need to get over to Europe and South America, Latin America and, and uh, everywhere that we can play. So that's, that's really our goal for this record is to play more territories. So kind of back to the, um, you know, file sharing and things like that. When you, when you go to record also, it tends to seem that the, the new way to tour is not necessarily, you know, a six, nine month grinding tour. I mean, it's two weeks on a couple of weeks off, uh, you know, extended, uh, extended periods here and there. It's not necessarily the, the old school, just, you know, get on the road and go. Um, is that what you guys are planning on doing? What, what's the, uh, the touring schedule look like for active defiance? I think we're going to, I think, I think the mentality we have is, is to play as many shows as we can in front of as many people as we can. That's, that's the old school sensibility, um, to how I grew up and that, you know, you, you would go see bands, that you love that, you know, you buy the record and then it would be coming on tour and, and you would go see them. That's, there really were no projects or super groups or any of that kind of thing back in the day when I grew up, certainly. So, you know, um, that's what we like to do. That's what we've always liked to do is, is to play live and, and to get that reaction from the, the people who dig what we're doing and, uh, playing in front of, again, being the, you know, we're, we're in a position where, it's best for us to be the support act on a bigger tour. So for us to get exposure in, in different kinds of situations is the way we need to go. And that's what we want to do going forward. So, um, you know, it's, it, it, in a sense, that's kind of a challenge, but that's something that we, you know, we want to, to be in that kind of situation where we can, you know, potentially win over people who may not have even been exposed to this band or even know who we are, 
You know what I mean? And that to us is exciting. Um, being a new band, it's, it's kind of a fresh and exciting thing for us. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to, to doing that as much as we can with this new release. And kind of getting to your live, uh, your live on stage uh, playing. I mean, you're left-handed, but you play open-handed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of the only people I, I know I've had, you know, Gene Hoagland on the show, kind of talking about why he plays open-handed. Um, do you feel like that's uh, maybe an advantage for the way you play or anything like that? I mean, what's what kind of made you uh, want to start playing uh, kind of that open-handed way? Well, for me, I'm left-handed. Um, so when I started, you know, I jumped on my buddy's kit to which of course he was right-handed. So I get, you know, being a kid, you don't know, you just don't even know any better. So it felt comfortable to me. I didn't even think, I didn't even, even think about, well, you know, these guys play this way. I mean, there was, there was no video reference. There was no YouTube or there was nothing back in the seventies to, to even kind of reference that kind of thing. I just kind of jumped on it and said, okay, well, all right, this kind of works or whatever. And, and just kind of went with it, you know, and, and, you know, over time, of course, you, you, you see that, you know, most guys don't play like how I played, but I never even really gave it a second thought because it worked for me. And, you know, obviously, you know, Gene is, is a great drummer and, you know, guys like Simon Phillips and, and, uh, Lenny White, you know, who's a great, fantastic jazz drummer. You know, there's, there's guys that play open-handed, uh, and do a fantastic job. So um, if it's cool for them, it's certainly cool for me. I'm guessing the, the the mechanics of uh you know playing uh left-handed on a right-handed kit. I mean, I guess you started so early that it didn't even uh didn't, you know didn't even matter. Um yeah, I guess it didn't feel wrong to you at at the time, I guess. No, it didn't. And and yeah, I didn't even know what a ride symbol was or or any of that stuff. So, it was just a matter of kind of, you know, you just and when I got my first kit, I set it up like a right-handed kit. So I, I didn't, I didn't know. There was no reference point for me, growing up in a small town in, in, in Montreal, Canada. There, there was no huge scene with you know thirty, you know rock drummers who were my age. There was none of that, you know. So I didn't even pay any mind to be honest with you. I, I felt comfortable doing what I was doing and learning, the way I was learning, and and uh, so, you know, I felt no need to try to emulate somebody or, or whatever it was it was working for me to to an extent and i just kind of built upon that and and uh and just went from there all right i'm gonna go uh, go a little off path for a second but um <laughs> did you recently play golf with john daly I, well i played the well the tournament that john was in that i played was a tournament called monday after the masters which i played um i think four time, four years in a row now it's a tournament hooter uh sponsored by uh, Hooting the Blowfish, and they, they do a charitable event every year and raise millions of dollars for the scholastic system in, in South Carolina. And, and over the years, I think they've been doing it now 22 or 23 years, and they've had all kinds of you know star golfers and athletes and musicians and, and, and you name it. And uh, I didn't play with John, but John was there. Actually, when I jumped on stage and played a couple of tunes, and John was right there on the side of the stage watching me. So I just, I, you know, just started a conversation with him when I was done. And and uh, I'm a big fan of his and stuff. So it was it was great to talk to him. But there's but there's tons of uh, professional golfers who play that event. So a lot of them, have, uh, you know, I've become friends with over the years. So that to me, that that's something that I really enjoy doing. Um, off, you know, outside of what I do as a musician, that's that's another passion that I have in my life is 
is playing golf. So for me, that's a lot of fun uh, to do when, when I have the, when I have the time to do it. How often do you get to play? <clears throat> I played every day this week. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm up in New Hampshire right now. I'm just, just, um, playing golf and stuff. So, I mean, when I can, I, I play as often as I can. It just, it just depends on, you know, if I'm on tour or if, if I'm doing some stuff where, you know, I, I don't have a ton of time to play, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, uh, it's all contingent on availability really. Um, but I, but I, I try to play as often as I can. What's the, uh, who's the craziest person you've played with? Uh, like, you know, maybe musician wise or somebody we wouldn't expect. Crazy. Um, I really haven't played with any, any, you know, I mean, you know, Nico, Nico from Iron Maiden is, is a friend of mine and, and someone I play golf with a lot. He's certainly not crazy, but he, you know, he's, he's certainly a, a extremely famous metal musician who most people wouldn't even think that he would play. They probably, people probably don't think that I play either, but I mean, um, he's, you know, he's a good golfer and a good friend of mine. And so every time we get a chance to play, that's, that's good fun. I mean, uh, Tim Ripper Owens, um, I play with him whenever I can as well. Who, you know, he sang with Judas Priest for mm-hmm. a number of years and, you know, guys like that. I mean, um, you know, uh, there's not a ton of rocker guys that, that I play with. There's, there's a, really a handful but, um, you know, when we get to go out, it's a good time. Mike Mangini uh, from Dream Theater is another guy who, who I play with a little bit. And, uh, you know, we just really enjoy playing when we, when we get a chance. So it's a good time. Yeah, it's great. I just heard, uh, I guess, Alice Cooper say that he still plays six days a week, even on tour. I was like, wow, this is, that's just a lot of golf. Well, it's a, it's a good time. It's a good way to kill time on the road because – you know, you're not playing the show until, you know, eight, nine, ten at night. And you're just kind of, you know, you, you, you arrive at the next city in the, you know, in the morning, nine or 10 in the morning. It's like, you know, you're just twiddling your thumbs for, for potentially, you know, six to 10 hours. So golf is a great way to, to kill a lot of time and, and to go out and enjoy yourself and just, you know, get a breath of fresh air. You know what I mean? It's not for everybody, certainly, but you know, I, I can understand why Alice plays as much as he does. I mean, it's, I think once you get, I guess it's like anything, you know, once you get hooked on something, you know, sometimes that's for life and golf is certainly one of those things where I think if you have a passion for it, it's, I think you're just, you're just a golf nut for life like I am. So it's, it's not a surprise that Alice plays as much as he does. Can I get one good, uh, you know, like you, you, you are part of the big four, you know, what are your memories of uh, participating in the big four? That was, that was, that was a lot of fun. I mean, the first show that all four bands played was in Warsaw, Poland, um, which to me was probably the most exciting show of them all. Everybody knows the, the Sofia Bulgaria show that was filmed and put on DVD and, mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. And that was in front of, I don't know, 50, 60,000 people. But what most people don't know is, is the first show that happened was in, was in Warsaw, Poland. And depending on who you ask, I think there was about 105 or 106,000 people there. And it was it was really exciting. Everybody could kind of feel the excitement in the air. You know, it's a, you know, it was a long time coming for all those four bands to finally play some shows together. And it was a really exciting time and a really uh, positive, just a really positive vibe going around with, with all four bands. And it was, it was fun to be a part of that. You know what I mean? That's something that, you know, um, you know, I, I was glad that I was part of that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I have nothing but fond memories of, of all those shows. I mean, again, I think the band, those bands played, I don't know, 20, 20 something odd shows total, something like that, maybe, maybe 20. And, uh, it was all good stuff. You know, uh, we played Yankee stadium. We played, 
um, you know, Indio, California, that was another big show, and all the shows were, were monstrous shows. So I have nothing but good things to say about my experience with, with all that stuff. Was 106,000 the biggest crowd you played in front of? Yes. And what I've is it? played a lot of big shows, you yeah. know, 60, 80, 70, 50, you know, whatever. I've, I've played countless shows and festivals over the years of, of that. But that one just kind of, I just, and again, it could have been that show, even if it was 60,000, I don't think it would have mattered because there was so much excitement backstage with this finally happening with these four bands. And uh, Behemoth was, was uh, the opener as well, which sucked for me because I missed, I missed them, and I'm a really big fan of that band. And uh, by the time we showed up that day, they had already played. So that's the only thing that kind of <laughs> kind of bummed me out was like, I didn't I didn't get to see their show, but uh, you know, um, but everybody was so focused on on um, delivering the goods that day, and I know there were some butterflies. Uh, I'm sure with all four bands, you know, just wanting to go out there and, and uh, give the best show they could. So it was an exciting time. Yeah, absolutely. So from your from your vantage point, what does 106,000 people look like? Does it just look like a sea of people, or you know, do you see the end? I mean, what does that look like? In that situation, you couldn't see the end. I mean, it was so big that they had another PA system, PA speaker set up way back. So because because it was so far back, there was like almost like a time lapse. Mm-hmm. So when what you know the, uh, they had like video walls like way way back and another set of another set of PA speakers and stuff. So the people way back could could kind of keep it in time. Where if you were looking at the real stage, there wouldn't be like that one or two second delay because it was so far back. That's how far back it was. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. It was, it was, I, I, I was looking out and I couldn't see the end of it, the end of the people there. So, and again, it was almost like, it wasn't like really wide. It was like very, very long. So, you know, it, it was cool. I, but for me, I mean, it, you know, again, it didn't matter 50, 60, 40, 80, a hundred thousand, whatever it was, it was, you know, just going out there and, and trying to deliver the goods the best you could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, is your brother Glenn doing anything these days, musically? Glenn's had a studio for years now. Um, you know, he keeps busy with producing bands and doing a lot of recording stuff. He, he plays the Testament once in the blue when when Alex has a, um, and um, you know that satisfies him in, in that regard. But by and large, he likes you know he enjoys being um, working in a studio and and producing other bands and, and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, he's, uh, he stays, he definitely stays creative. There's no doubt about that. Well, Sean Joverman, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. Uh, we're going to finish this off with, uh, with the new single MIA, um, off of, uh, old scars, new wounds out September 29th on metal blade records. Uh, can you give us a little story on, uh, on the song? That song, that was one of the first ones. Actually, Chris wrote that song, the music for that song. The first one that he submitted and uh, I really, you know, I like all the songs in the record. I'm not just saying that. I really, really do like every song on, that, on this record. But that was the first one I believe, if memory serves me, that Chris turned in as, as in, in demo form for everybody to listen to. And I'm like, I love it right away. I just thought it turned out really well. And uh, I think Chris did a really good job of writing that song. All right, guys. Well, here's uh, MIA off the new Active Defiance album. Uh, Sean Jover, man, thanks for taking the time tonight. All right, buddy. Take care.
guys that was mia off the latest uh active defiance album out this friday uh september 29th that's old scars new wounds metal blade records and uh speaking of records let's jump into our uh top three favorites top three perfect albums of uh of our of our lifetime john drake i'll let you go first on this one man i'll start with number one and i will say this is my most influential record of all time but i also think for my musical tastes it is also to me uh, a perfect record and it might it might sound like an obvious choice based on the band's career but um i know you're not going to agree with this but uh van halen 1984 it was the very first time i had ever heard rock music uh, i'd ever heard electric guitar and to this day uh it may be the emotional connection to it but i just i love every song on that album uh it's one of the more diverse Van Halen records of the Roth era, and it's just everything that good rock music is supposed to be. 
and it's just cool as fuck, man. I love it. Absolutely love it. And, and to this day, it's, you know, it hasn't aged at all for me. And again, even though I have that emotional connection to it, I still go back and listen to it and I still enjoy it outside of the emotional connection. Like now that I know more about music than I did back then, obviously as an eight-year-old kid, but um, I still just really love it. And I always come back to it. And it's one of my all-time favorite records to listen to because everything on it's just fantastic to me. So what do you got? Um, let's see. My first selection in the uh, the favorite albums of all time, I'm going to go... I'm just going to go Pantera's Far Beyond Driven. Um, okay. I think that, uh, you know, like like you said, with your with your Van Halen, um, Far Beyond Driven is honestly where I came into the band. Uh, I had heard some... Well, I would heard some of the other stuff before, but it didn't connect. But when I first heard I'm Broken and, and Five Minutes Alone, and uh, they did a big uh, special on MTV's Headbangers Ball, like the weekend before the album came out. And, and uh, obviously that's back in the day when I, you know, uh, VHS recorded every episode of Headbangers Ball and um, watched it over and over. I fell in love with the the personalities of Pantera and then uh, ended up getting, um, you know, Far Beyond Driven and then seeing them a few times on the Far Beyond Driven tour. And then over times, so I've probably seen them a good 15 times over the years. And uh, that's, you know, it, it does come back to, you know, where you came into the band. Um, I mean, you honestly, aside from good friends in a bottle of pills, uh, that's out. Al- that album is, uh, is untouchable. Yeah. That's a damn good choice, man. I have to admit, I absolutely love the, anything that Pantera did. Um, it's funny you mentioned that because I think if I had like an honorable mention on my list, um, vulgar display would be on there. Yeah. And the, the reason for me with vulgar is because I heard that the week that it came out and I was listening to, you know, Metallica and stuff like that, but I was kind of jamming with a guitar player. I was playing drums at the time and he's like, dude, you got to check out this band Pantera. And we're driving around in my car and, uh, I took him to the mall to get the cassette and he put it in. And I think of any album that I've ever listened to, it's, that's the one album where I went, holy shit, what is this in terms of this is something I like, but it's obviously something way different from anything that came before it. I mean, it was so much heavier than stuff that I had heard and in a different way. And I, I just, I absolutely loved it. It was, you know, when they say like when, you know, people heard, uh, you know, never mind. It was like, oh my God, it was like the changing of the guard or whatever. It was this new thing. With my experience with that type of, you know, that type of listening experience was with uh, Vulgar Display. So it was just incredible. It was so much different. You know, even the Great Southern Trend Kill, I think uh, I listen to that probably more than I do like like a Cowboys from Hell or something. So, I mean, on, honestly, with Pantera, it's like asking who your favorite kid is. But uh, but I had to go Pantera and then I had to go Far Me Out Driven. Right. It's like me trying to pick a Star Wars movie. <laughs> like you love them all, so trying to rank them, you're right. just like, ah, crap. Absolutely. But, uh, all right. So what do you got? Uh, what do you got next? So my next one, I think you might agree with this one. Uh, also, one of the two most influential records of my entire life, um, but also I think still holds up to this day is And Justice for All. I know we talked about Metallica on our previous one, but um, you know, as I said in the previous episode, having listened to Metallica's entire catalog uh, since then, obviously. Uh, to me, that just is the record that defines what Metallica is all about. 
And I think when people think about Metallica and the best elements of Metallica, it, it's all there on display on And Justice for All. And for me, I, it just came along at a time in my life when I was really getting into metal and it was... It was just like razor blades coming at your face. Every song was just brutal and angry and fast, and it was just unbelievable. And again, it's one of those records that even though I might have an emotional connection to it, I still listen to it to this day, and it just still blows me away like, it, like it's, it's fresh. And I still can't get enough of listening to that album. And it's, it's very rare when you find an album that you could still, you know, what 20 guy was it 23 years after it was released you can still still listen to it cover to cover even though you've heard it a million times and you just can still get into it like that and justice for all was on my list too i had uh i have master puppet slash injustice for all to kind of depending on which one you chose um i, I was trying to go in when i went metallica in my head i i had to go something with cliff burton though um, if I was going to choose any of them, I think I was going to go Master Puppets, but I'm not going to go Master Puppets. But uh, but yeah, I totally agree that Injustice for All is one of those, you know, once you get to Dyer's Eve and then, uh, you know, the, the CD starts over uh, to the what Blackened, I mean, you can, uh, you know, just keep going. That's why I, when we did this list, I kind of had to think of like albums that, uh, you know, when you get to the last song, if the album started over, you know, would you stop it or would you let it go again? That's a good That's a good criteria to use. And using that criteria, we were kind of going, um, you know, favorite albums, and and I'm not huge on concept albums, but uh, but I was trying to think of an album that that was um, like I consider a perfect album. And uh, this is this is this is my left field pick. This is a uh, little emo to me, uh, little emo to me's pick. But uh, my chemical romance is the the black parade is 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 a phenomenal record from start to finish. No kidding. All right, <laughs> we'll explain because. Ironically, my next one is a concept album too. Well, I mean, the Black Parade to me, when it when it came out, I was a little taken aback. I mean, I was I was a fan of the band My Chemical Romance before uh, before this kind of came out. I mean, I kind of got into that like you know the 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 heavier emo stuff and you know kind of got into all that stuff. But when this album came out, man, they they took it to a whole nother level. And um, you know, the, just the songwriting, the concepts, down to the costumes, to the live show, I, I think they 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 nailed it on that album. So what is the story on that record? Um, it's you know it's about a black parade. No, it's about a. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just a journey. How topical! <laughs> it's just a journey from uh, from from life, you know, from from birth to death kind of thing, and uh, a lot of loss in there. There was uh, you know so you know there there's intertwining things with uh, with his with his father and his mother and. Um, you know, like the, there's a whole song about, you know, cancer and, and all kinds of crazy stuff. But uh, I'm not the hugest lyric guy. I've, 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 I've stated that in the past. But, uh, you know, as, as, for a, as for lyrics and a record and everything, I think it's a fa- fantastic album. Awesome. Yeah, my, uh, my concept album, I actually have two on my list that are kind of tied. Um, if we were picking three, like you had a tie with your Metallica records, but uh, my third one, and again, I have a tie with this record and another one, but uh, Operation Mindcrime by Queensryche. Nice. I have always been a massive fan of that album, and every time I listen to it, it just blows me away. 
and they have a fantastic live version of it that they put out um, from that tour called Operation Live Crime, and it sounds even better because it's a little heavier production-wise, and you got the crowd noise and everything. And but I mean, it's it's a cool story. It's got a real interesting, you know, somewhat creepy vibe to it, and you know the little cutscenes with you know the story being played out and. Um, it's just awesome, and every song is so goddamn good. And being a huge fan of electric guitar, uh, as I am, that's an absolutely fantastic guitar record because the way that Chris DeGarmo and Michael Wilton play off each other on that album is just amazing. And the vocal harmonies are kick-ass, and it's just a complete listening experience because it's on its own, it's just a fantastic album. But when you combine that with like a really cool story, that doesn't come across as overly cheesy or anything, which is something you always risk when you're trying to do a concept album. Um, I always, always come back to Operation Mindcrime as by far one of my top favorite three records of all time. Awesome, man. Uh, if, you could, if you could pick a song off of that, what do you want to play? And we'll come back and finish up with mine. Uh, my favorite song on that record is uh, I Don't Believe in Love.
All right, that was uh, some queens right here on the Talk To Me podcast, and we're going to finish out our top perfect albums of all time. Uh, let's go with uh, my final selection here, and that's Machine Head's The Blackening. Um, you know, when you were talking about uh, influences and things like that, I, Machine Head to me is 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 a band that if I was ever to start another band, I'd be like, what do you want to sound like? I'm like Machine Head. Like, I, like they, to me, have the perfect sound. Yeah. I'm a big uh, I'm a big Machine Head fan myself, and um, my favorite song of theirs, honestly, is off the first record, which I still think is their best one. It might be kind of a common opinion, but that uh, closing song, Block, is kick-ass. But yeah, Machine Head is a fantastic band. They only really had one kind of eh, record. Was it Supercharger? Yeah, Supercharger. The one where they tried to go kind of new metal or whatever? Well, technically, the one they always get shit for for going new metal was The Burning Red, but I think that only kind of had like the, the one... That's the one. They had like the one moment on that album. But if you go back and listen to it right now, I don't think you would... You would uh, You'd be like, oh wow, this this is a completely new metal album. It had like one moment. I mean, it was more the look. I think he kind of went a little too much with the cornrows, <laughs> right. and then he went a little spiky hair and and uh, like orange track jackets. But uh, you know, we were all wearing cornrows and spiky <laughs> spiky track jackets <laughs> at the time. But uh, but right. with uh, with the blackening, I mean, they came back and uh, and came back with a vengeance. I think, and and uh, and it's even got you know always kind of go back around to Dimebag and you know aesthetics of hate kind of kind of going against um, you know the, the 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 murderer there of uh, no 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 aesthetics of hate was against a writer that wrote some that basically wrote that Dimebag deserved to die. And, uh, you know, there's also other great songs on there like Halo and Beautiful Morning and Now I Lay Thee Down. I mean, it's just a just an insane album from start to finish. Yeah, I that's one of the, my favorites of theirs for sure. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the one that had that? Um, I don't know if it was a bonus track on that or what, but isn't that the one where they had that awesome cover of Battery? It is the cover of Batteries on there. Yeah, that's the last track on the at least on Spotify. It's the last track. So it might be a bonus track. But uh, but yeah, it's definitely on there. Yeah, that was kind of like that was the record where I rediscovered them because I really liked the first two records, and then the Burning Red came out, and I was just kind of like, eh. so I didn't really <laughs> listen. And then a buddy of mine was really into them and said, "You got to check out the new Machine Head." I was like, yeah, "I don't know, like whatever, go ahead and send it over." And it was the Blackening, and I was like, "Holy shit! All right." So ever since then, I've always, you know, checked out the new stuff when it comes out and everything. And um, yeah, d- definitely an awesome, awesome band. And I think a little bit underrated. I don't think they get enough credit, honestly, for how good they really are. No, it was they've uh, they've always put on a hell of a show. I think I saw them. Well, I've saw, I've seen them a ton of times. I saw them on uh, on the Burn My Eyes tour. I saw them on the uh, the More Things Change tour. I even saw them. I saw them on the Burning Red tour. Uh, with, with opening bands uh, Cold Chamber and Slipknot, um, <laughs> and um, wow, and, and I actually saw them open for was Lamb of God in like a like a smaller club, kind of kind of in that in that time period where they kind of took a took a sidestep, and but they they came out and there was uh it was it was Lamb of God, Machine Head and like Gojira like ten years ago or twelve years ago or something crazy, and. Um, and man, they put on such a hell of a show. And then the last time I saw them was a year or so ago <clears throat> when they were doing the uh, doing an evening with Machina where they just played for like two and a half, three hours all by themselves. And God, it was it was an amazing show. Yeah. I've always wanted to see them because especially now when they're doing, you know, the evening with, I, I basically just go to the show and only get them. I don't have to sit through an opener I might potentially not enjoy. So... 
I've always wanted to see them because all my friends have seen them and I have not. And I've heard nothing but good things, like you said, that they're just awesome every time. So um, I, they're coming around again. I think they're coming to Cleveland on the next tour. They just didn't they? I think they just announced it. Yeah, they just tour, announced some new dates and uh, they're doing they're once again they're doing an evening with type shows. I mean, they're basically yeah. just saying, hey, you know, why bring an opener? You know, there's no point in it. And uh, you get two and a half to three hours of the machine that I'll take that over, uh, you know, a 20 minute set by anybody any day. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Dream Theater's been doing that for years, the whole evening with, and it's so much better. I mean, you just go, you get what you want, and then you, you're out. You know, you don't have to, because with so many openers, you just you usually have to sit through at least one or two crap bands you just don't care about. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, the uh, the and the thing with with you know some of these some of these bands like even Machine Head. I mean, they have. They have the seven, eight, nine-minute songs. You know, Dream Theater has forty-five-minute songs. So, if you get an opener, you're probably not going <laughs> to see some of your favorite songs. <laughs> I remember seeing uh, Neurosis open for Soulfly back in the day. Neurosis is, you know, they're 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 all ten-minute songs. And I think they played three songs as, as an opening band. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> well, that was worthwhile. <laughs> it was still awesome, but it so, was still it was just funny to watch. Right. Well, I do. Uh before we get off the topic and get out of here, I, I do have an honorable mention. I want to see if you agree with this or not, but um, I think filed under the category of a perfect album, I had um, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses. That's just a blueprint for what a, a, a hard rock album is supposed to be. Just a fucking kick-ass album. Even as a little kid when that came out, like, you know, I was... You know, my, my dad didn't want me listening to rock music, so this was like 87. So I'm still like, what, 11 years old? And so I heard him say fuck a few times. I'm like, ooh, I'm all dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening to a band that says fuck. But um, even without that, it was just, oh, my God. It, it's it's basically like I said, you know, with um, uh, with Metallica and Justice for All, like razor blades coming at your face. It was... Kind of like that, only mixed in with a bunch of bottles of Jack Daniels coming at your face as well. Like, it's it's just an unbelievable rock record, and every song is just dripping with attitude and sleaze and fantastic guitar work. And I absolutely love that record. I'll give it to you. Um, I I never honestly got into Guns N' Roses that much back in the day. Like I I've gotten into them the more I get into like the more I listen to them now, I appreciate them a little bit more. But back in the day, it was. There, there was that time where it was like you were either a Metallica fan or you were a Guns N' Roses fan. Like, I mean, maybe not in your town, but my town was kind of like that. So I went, uh, right. I went Metallica over over Guns N' Roses, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with roughly around the time when they, you know, toured together and and they were, you know, Metallica was doing their set, and then you know Guns N' Roses was not coming on until four in the morning, so um, you know, pulling all of their nonsense and stuff. So I mean, I think I kind of went more with the. The, the the four guys that got up on stage in, in jeans and t-shirts rather than the, the guys pulling all the uh, rock star moves. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, the one thing that I'll say about that is that it, they're two different kind of bands, so like choosing a side. I mean, like you said, in your town, that's how it was. Up here in Cleveland, it really wasn't. Um, but, you know, you, you were saying that you were not really a big Guns fan. I, th- I think one thing that's a testament to the strength of the Appetite record is that when you really look at Guns N' Roses' career, people look at them as a huge band, and, you know, they're doing that tour now where they've been on tour for, like, two years, and they're playing nothing but giant stadiums and everything. Yeah. Uh, they only really had three actual full-length records 
with, you know, with the original lineup because Lies was, you know, half of an acoustic session and then half was a fake live EP. So it wasn't really a studio album. And the Use Your Illusion records, I think even, you know, the most ardent Guns N' Roses fans would agree that that's basically one good record with a bunch of filler. So they split it up into two. So their career really is based off the back of just that one album. And, I mean, they're known worldwide as one of the biggest bands ever when really they only had one huge album that everyone universally agrees is great. I agree so, with that. I think you and I have talked that, about that off air. You know, I was trying to make a topic for the show one day and and, and uh, you know, almost almost calling Guns N' Roses a one-album wonder, you know, not necessarily one hit because they had a bunch of hits. And, you know, I, Use Your Illusion, you, know, you had your Don't Cries and stuff like that too. So, I mean, they were still a massive band when Use Your Illusion came out. But, but yeah, I mean, they've built this entire... Uh, stadium tour that they're currently on on the back of you know sweet child of mine and welcome to the jungle and and all those songs off the first album yeah it's it's pretty incredible when an artist can do that so you know i I have the utmost respect for that album just because of what what it did for them i mean you know somebody like michael jackson you know he had thriller you know the the best-selling album of all time but you can't look at his career and say well everything else was just you know whatever you know, he had a whole bunch of other hit records. I mean, Thriller was the biggest, but at least he had a whole bunch of other hit records, whereas Guns, you know, the Use Your Illusion records were hit records, but, I mean, everybody and their brother would point to Appetite as the best one. There's no debating that. So, you know, to have the kind of career that they have based off of, what, 12, 13 songs, really, is pretty damn impressive. I agree. I agree with you. And uh, let's let's end this uh, let's end this episode out with uh, with some Machine Head. I'm going to go back to my last pick. I'm going to actually finish it off with Aesthetics of Hate, one of my favorite Machine Head songs. And um, so uh, so I'll I'll be going to Louder Than Life over the weekend, uh, grabbing as many interviews as I can. I'm sure a few bonus episodes will pop up before next week's episode. Uh, not necessarily 100% sure who next week's guest will be, but uh, that will be determined soon enough. And so, for the Talk To Me podcast, <laughs> almost went, I'm not taking a knee. Um, <laughs> on one knee. Yeah, we forgot to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to actually talk about the protests for a second. I do have an opinion. So, not to get political, but uh, here's my opinion on this whole kneel down thing with the NFL and the players and all that. Uh, my opinion is, fuck it, we're not talking about it. There. We, we got political. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's already tuned us out. Uh, so, so for the non-political talk to me, I am uh, I am Joshua Toomey. I'm non-political John Drake. <laughs> and we will talk to you guys next Thursday. Later, everyone. Fucking stop! That's the end of I hope you cry!
Bitch. You pay 